And take your Bible and turn to Philippians, your third chapter. Philippians chapter 3, page 38. If you don't have a book, then take a handout. Everyone needs two of those 3 by 5 cards. And then make sure you have uh, something to write with. They'll be happy to bring some pens uh, down there. I was uh, getting my hair cut a couple times ago. And I, I, I try to figure out some way to get into a conversation with whoever's cutting my hair about the Lord. And, and you, know, you can ask what church they go to and whatever. And so I, I thought, well, I'm gonna, I, I thought of a question. So I asked um, the girl who's cutting my hair. I said, what is your goal for eternity? And, um, and she thought, she said, well... Someday I'd like to own my own shop. And I thought, your goal for eternity, I didn't say this, your goal for eternity is to have your own shop, really? And, and I realized that she had no clue about what eternity was. So the next time I got my hair cut, I said the same thing. The girl cut out my hair, different girl. I said, what, what, let me ask you something. What is your goal for eternity? She said, well, someday I'd like to build a house for my, my mom. I thought, well, that's a great goal. But I realized quickly, people that don't have a relationship with God have, have not even thought about eternity. And, and, and my question for us in these days is not what is your one-year goal or five-year goal or kind of what house are you going to have, but, but what is your one-million-year goal? What, what, is the, what is the one goal of your earthly life? I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to tell them your one goal for your earthly life. Turn, tell somebody right now, what is the one goal for your earthly life. All right, everybody knows now the goals of the people around them for their earthly life. I was in a, um, I was a, de- I was a dentist or doctor or something a few years ago, and I picked up a Sports Illustrated that was there, and it was a, a back issue, and it was an interview with the uh, basketball player who is the leading scorer in the history of the NBA. And in, high, in college, his name was Lou Alcindor. He played for Coach John Wooden at UCLA. I think while he was there, they won a national championship, I think three of the four years, or maybe all four years he was there. And, um, and the interviewer was talking to him about religion. And, and, and he went on to play in the NBA and win NBA championships and, and is still the leading scorer in the history of the NBA. And he said, um, let me tell you about, tell me about your religion. He said, well, I was at UCLA. I knew there was a void in my life for God. And so I began to study the religions of the world. And I weeded out most of them because they were just a little wacky or didn't feel right. I narrowed it down to two. I thought, these two have the most credibility. And the two we narrowed it down to was Christianity and Islam. And the interviewer said to him, why did you choose Islam over Christianity? Because Lou Alcindor changed his name to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and went on to play for the Lakers and win all these championships. And it was right about the time that Cassius Clay became Muhammad Ali. It was kind of the uh, in vogue then. And he said, why did you embrace Islam over Christianity? And, and Lou Alcindor's answer just caused my heart to sink. He said, the reason that I embraced Christianity over or Islam over Christianity was because I knew some people who called themselves Christians. I thought, man, what if Lou Alcindor would have met some Christians at UCLA who really lived the Christian life, who their goal was not just to get an education or to have fun or to party, but their goal was eternity, and they lived that, and Lou Alcindor would have met them and then would have embraced Christianity and still gone on to be the leading scorer in the NBA. What a, what a testimony he could have had. But instead, he saw some people who claimed the name of Christ and said, if that's Christianity... I don't want it. 
And I, I've kind of settled in on, on, on the goal of my earthly life is to give the world a right opinion of God. Now, you can write it down in a lot of ways, bring glory to God or whatever. But I, I, want, I want the world to have a right opinion of God. And I think as, as the world looks at most people who call themselves Christians, I, I don't even like to call myself a Christian anymore. I'd rather use the term a follower of Christ because the word Christian is almost just become cast aside. You can be a Christian and be anything in our culture today. But, but someone who's a genuine follower of Christ, that they would give the world a right view of who God is. And I want us to see how we can do that here in the days ahead. Here in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this. I, I love... Um, Paul, you know what Paul is a preacher. There are four chapters in Philippians, and in the start of the third chapter, Paul says, "Finally, he's only half done." Okay, that's that's preacher talk. Finally, my brother, uh, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says this in, in chapter three, verse one: "To write the same things again is no trouble for me, and a safeguard for you." You may say, "You know, I've heard the things you've talked about already. Great." It is not a problem for me to say the same thing over and over again. Paul said, I'm going to say this to you again. It, it's, it's, it's a joy to me and a safeguard for you. It seems like we're always looking for some new thing, but most of us have never learned to obey the first basic things. Paul said, it, it's okay. And, and then he goes on, and, and I want you to get down with me to verse number 13. He says, brethren, I do not regard myself having laid hold of yet, but one thing I do. Now, you know, Paul is a preacher because he says one thing and they list three, three points, right? That's preacher top. This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I pressed on toward the goal of the prize, the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. So, so, so I want us to think about that, that one thing. And I want to suggest the one thing, my, my thing is to keep one thing, thing one. So, so what should be that, that one thing? And I'm, I'm going to say that, that that goal, the goal of life, and you could have said this to your neighbor in a in hundred different ways, but I'm going to say summarizing it, it would just be Christ-likeness, that the goal of our life should be to reflect Christ, the image of God, in us to a world that desperately needs to see some reality. If you're going to do that, it, it's going to take you stepping into some unsafe places in your life. You're going to have to step out of, out of your comfort zone. I want you to watch a little, a little clip. It's old, it's, it's a little fuzzy, it's Francis Chan, um, he's speaking at a youth conference, and he's got a, a balance beam on stage, he's walking on this balance beam, and I want you to see this little clip, uh, and you, just, you, you watch his words here, or listen. For me, growing up, it was, uh, a lot of you guys know, my mom died giving birth to me, and my dad remarried, then my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine, then my dad got married again, then my dad died of cancer when I was 12. And so I'm in junior high, my mom's dead, my stepmom's dead, my dad's dead. The only close relatives I had were my, my aunt and uncle, George and Sandra. And then when I was in high school, they got in a fight, and my uncle George shot and killed my aunt, and then stuck the gun to his own head, killed himself. So I'm 16 years old, and this is life to me, going, man, what's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried, we get a little scared. And this is what Christians do. You know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky and things get a little unstable. And so we go, okay, that was nuts. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to live like that. Let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine. This is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here and, uh, 
I'm just going to hold on. And uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what, I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to, um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to... Um, you know, I'm not going to let him outside because son has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in the safety of, I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just, I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2%, um, and, uh, maybe serve help the nursery because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life. And then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it. And then just go up to heaven. And so you want to die like this. Just in your sleep. Ooh, right in the middle of a dream. Good dream. The dream you're going to heaven and you don't even feel it. And then suddenly you wake up. You stand before the judge and you go. <laughs> now, if... Uh, could you imagine... Could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know, and some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes, what is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. I, I, that's the routine that they're going to live, and then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge, and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, wow, well done. Well done. You live the safest life possible. You didn't slip. You didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. And I hope that that is uh, true of your heart too. Is you don't want to go where the majority goes. So how, how do we live a life in the days ahead that, that gives the world a right opinion, a right view of God? I want to suggest that every church uh, needs to be in three a three-legged stool capacity. They're, they're, if you sit on a three-legged stool and you only have two legs, you're going to be in trouble. If you ever milked a cow, I don't know why they use three-legged stools for cows, but it seems like you always milk a cow with a three-legged stool. And if you, if you don't have all three legs, um, it, it, it doesn't work right. I, I remember there was uh, some cars out some years ago that were three-cylinder cars. Now, not much power in a three-cylinder car, but anyway, they, they were. I, I wanted to get one. One was the, the, the Chevy Spirit. I thought then I could always be riding in the Spirit. I thought that would be good. But anyway, um, if you have a three-cylinder car and they're not all hitting, then it's going to be trouble. And the same thing is true in our spiritual life. So here are the three things. Number one is gathered worship. That's what we're doing tonight. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. We've done that for two weeks. And, and you're here, so, so you, you, you have that down. Secondly is small group fellowship. Again, if you're not in a small group, if you don't have a group of people that can ask you questions, that you can ask questions, that can come around you, you need to get in a small group. You need to do that here at your church. You need to be involved in Sunday school, a small group, whatever that looks like. If you don't have a group of people that are asking you tough questions, you can have some accountability with, then, then you're missing one of the cylinders. And the third one then is a personal devotional life. 
I think if those three cylinders are clicking, if you're gathering for worship, small group accountability, and a personal devotional life, that then you can have a life that begins to reflect Christ. And, and, and Paul lists here in this passage some things that I want to add to that, that relationship that we have in the days ahead. So here, here's, what, here's what Paul said. He said, I, I'm going to do three things. I will not, first of all, I will forget what lies behind. If you're going to go on in the days ahead, and you have the small group fellowship, the gathered worship, personal devotional life, then, then here's the next step in this process. Number one is I will forget what lies behind. Here's the deal. Past victories are not going to be enough to sustain you in the days ahead. It's great the things have happened to you in the past. I, I love to hear stories of, of people who've met God in revival and, and what's happened years ago in their life, and that's great. But, but past victories, even what God has done in your life in these two weeks, is not enough to sustain us in the days ahead. You've got to be winning new victories. You've got to be continuing to grow. That's why every day it's, it's asking God to fill you with his spirit. Okay, you've been praying for, for maybe five days. But tomorrow, your, your commitment, at least that we asked you to make last Tuesday, expires. It's all about you doing it on your own tomorrow. And you can't say, well, I did that for five days. Your past prayer life, your past victories are not enough to sustain us. You've got to keep winning those daily for Christ. And then secondly, past defeats are not enough to suppress us in the days ahead. I'm not going to live. Listen, God can't bless your past if it's wrong, but he can bless your repentance. If you're willing to turn from those things and say, God, I've blown it. It may be five years, 10 years, 20 years, 70 years, but God, I'm I'm not going to live in that. Those past defeats, you've put my sin as far as the east is from the west. You've chosen not to remember it against me anymore. So I'm going to forget what lies behind both defeats and victories because I can't live on the victories and I'm not going to be depressed by the defeats. So I'll forget what lies behind. And then secondly, he says, I will strain forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind, straining to what lies ahead. Now, that, that's going to require perseverance. And, and, and for some of us, the reason that we have not gone on with God consistently is because we just don't persevere. It's, it's not an easy downhill grade. It's an uphill grade. And, and the Christian life is full of difficulties. I, I'm just, sometimes life just stinks. We've talked about that. And, and I'm going to have to strain and persevere through things that are not always going to be fun. But I'm not living for this earth. I, I, I've decided I can do any, I don't know what the average, I, I did this, um, when I, the, I was at a pastor's office. He had this clock on his desk. It was called a death clock. And you go on this website and you put in all your medical information, whatever, and it tells you the exact, statistically, the exact day of your death. So you know how many seconds, minutes, and so forth you have. And then he has this clock that counts down by seconds how much he has left in his life. So I, I went on and did it. And, and uh, I'm going to live, according to this website, I'm going to live till I'm 98. I don't want to live till I'm 98, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to die in 2050. I, I don't want to live to 2050, okay? But that's what it said. And then it told me how many seconds. Well, the Bible says teach us to number our days. And so he's saying this numbers your days, how many seconds, and, and, and so forth. I forgot what I was even talking about. How did I get on that? <laughs> anyway, um, uh, thinking about, about, about how long we have. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to persevere through some times if I happen to live that long, which I'm not planning to. But if I do, I'm going to have to plan on other. There's odd oh, no, I was going to say. Uh, I, I can do anything. I used to say I can do anything for 90 years or, or maybe 98 years or whatever it is because all eternity is beyond that. 
And, and so whatever years you have, if, if you would say, God, whatever few short years on this earth, no matter how difficult it is, beyond that is all eternity. And if you have eternal glasses, don't live for your 10-year goals. Live for your 1 million-year goals. What are you going to do with the rest of your life that a million years from now, you can look back and say, that was worth it. And, and as difficult as things might get, you can do anything for 90 years or 80 years or whatever you have left. And for me, I hope it's not till 98, but whatever it is. And, and, and so I'm, I'm going to strain forward to what lies there. I memorized a, I don't know why, but I memorized a little poem years ago. It's called The Tale of the Two Frogs. It goes like this. Two frogs once fell into a milk pail deep. And one poor frog, he did nothing but weep. He sank to the bottom as heavy as lead. There the next morning they found him dead. The other frog shouted, I'll have a good try. This pail is deep, but I don't want to die. So he churned up the milk with his legs fore and hind. There's nothing like having an active mind. Because there the next morning, this frog he was found on a pound of fresh butter he floated around. Now, now here's the moral. When things get thick, don't growl and mutter. Remember, one more kick may bring forth the butter. Okay, we're, we're all in a drowning in a milk pail, all right? And and, and we and you keep on cooking, kicking. You, you, you don't quit. You don't give up. I'm going to strain forward to what lies ahead. That's what Paul said. Forgetting what lies behind, strain forward to what lies ahead. And then thirdly, he said, I will prize upward spiritual progress enough in my life to exercise spiritual disciplines in my life. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to discipline my life in some ways that aren't necessarily my favorite. You know, there's there's a lot of controversy about about music. I was reading something Francis Chan. He was in a meeting uh, some time ago, and a lady came up and and after the service said, "I, I didn't like the worship this morning." And he said, "That's okay. We won't worship you anyway." And, and 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 part of our problem is we come to church and it's all about us, and it's not about us. It's 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 about it's about somebody else. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And and sometimes we have to exercise. I was in a meeting, um, I think it was in Pennsylvania, and a lady came one night to give a testimony. She was a senior adult lady, and she said, I, I sit in a row of senior adult ladies, and every time the, the you know church or y'all start singing choruses, we just all kind of fold our arms and don't sing because we don't sing choruses. Well, th- this week, I, I, I tried singing along with, uh, with the songs, and one of my friends said, looked at me and said, you know we don't sing these choruses. And she said, I realize that God wants me to exercise the spiritual discipline of singing choruses, what she would call just contemporary music. And when she got through, I said, you know, some of you teenagers, you need to exercise the spiritual discipline of singing hymns. It's not which is best hymns or choruses or contemporary versus traditional, whatever it is. The, The issue is it's not about us. And, and, and sometimes we have to exercise some spiritual disciplines in our life that go against even our preferences. But we've got to remember, it's not about us. It's, it's about him. So, so, so what are those differences or what are those disciplines we can exercise? Let me tell you why this is important. I believe we move away from the Lord in small, imperceptible drifts. We come to times like this and have a meeting with God, and then little by little, we, we make little compromises. We start doing some little things. We we look at things maybe we shouldn't look at, or or we start getting lazy with our um, time with the Lord, or or we we stop giving what we were giving, and and little by little we start you know maybe just telling some little white lies, and little by little we start drifting, and we're watching the world, and we're still the same distance in the world we've always been, 
because it's heading away from God. God. God's over here, and we're just little by little, because our eyes are on the world, we always stay in small, imperceptible drifts, just like the world is doing, the same distance away. Now, we wake up one morning and say, how did I get this far from God? We move away from the Lord in small, imperceptible drifts. We move towards the Lord in big, intentional shifts. You don't drift towards God. You make some shifts in your life. I'm going to make a change. I'm going to start praying with my wife. That's a shift. I'm going to start spending time with God. That's a shift. And I'm going to start giving God's way. That's a shift. You start making some intentional shifts in your life. I was in a meeting in uh, Alabama and and, um, Auburn, Alabama. And and one of the staff guys said, I haven't heard anything these two weeks that I didn't already know. They said, I realize this. I have not been intentional about doing what I know to do. No one has to tell us what to do. We just are not intentional about it. So you're only going to move towards God if you make some intentional shifts in your life. And I, I want to give you um, some, some thoughts. I want you on that little three-by-five card that you have to write down some intentional shifts that over the next 30 days, if you would be intentional, and it may be nothing I say, maybe something God's already said to you, something you already know, but what are some intentional shifts you're going to make in your life? Things like, I'm just going to give you some things, like practical Bible application. In James 1, we won't turn there, but in James 1, it says, when, when you go and you, you look in the Word of God, the person who looks and abides and does will be blessed. I mean, there's a great two verses on how to get the blessing of God. You look in God's word, you abide in God's word, you do God's word, and you're blessed. Remember, know one truth, obey one truth, teach one truth. That little paradigm. So I've got to know it, I've got to look at it, I'm going to abide in it, I'm going to obey what it says, and then the blessing is I'll be able to share that with somebody else. Now, how do you abide in truth? The way you abide is to record, to write something down. So here might be an intentional shift to say, for the next 30 days, every day, I'm going to write down a sentence about something I read in the Bible. In my own words, here's, here's one thing I got from this passage. Rather than just reading a passage, that'd be, maybe that'd be a shift just to read the Bible every day. That'd be, a, that'd be a good shift if you're not already doing that. To say, for the next 30 days, I'm going to read a chapter or a verse or a portion or something from the Bible every day. That might be one of your, one of your goals right there. And, and, and you would say, I'm going to make that intentional shift in my life. Here, here's another one, uh, private prayer. And we talked about this uh, last Tuesday. Uh, the, the Bible says when you pray, go in your room, your father who, who sees in secret will reward you openly. We understand that. So, so this is a time, maybe a shift might be, I ask you to make a commitment to, to today. You might say for the next 30 days, I'm going to give God the first moments of my day. Before I look at my phone, before I uh, look at the television, before I look at the computer, I'm, I'm going to give, you don't have to go through all 12 of those things every day. Here's, here's an abbreviated version of those 12, this little acrostic of Acts. This is just a shorter way. Sometimes if I don't have a lot of time, then, then I'll walk through this acrostic. Adoration, just a few moments of adoration to the Lord. Confession, got anything, search my heart, try me, know me, see if there's any wicked way in me. Thanksgiving, taking some time to thank God for, for, for what he has done for you. And then supplication. This, this is just again, I, I need, I need some skeletons to kind of hang, you know, prayers on. And you can take those 12, you can rearrange those. But, but here's the thing, you're going to say for 30 days, I'm going to make prayer a priority. I'm going to set aside a time. 
I'm going to give God priority. And for 30 days, private prayer is going to be an intentional shift in my life. These are just thoughts. You might add other things to this. Here's another one. Penetrating relationships. The, the, The importance of having someone who you give permission to ask you questions. Someone who, who you give permission to get into your life. Now, I, if you were here at the Home Life Cafe, I, I made this comment. Accusations harden the will, but questions convict the conscience. And, and, and one of the best ways to have a penetrating relationship is to give someone freedom to ask you questions, and you have the freedom to ask them questions. It's called accountability. Without accountability, the Christian life is optional. Because we don't do what is expected, we do what is inspected. You tell your kids, go clean your room. If you never inspect it, what will happen? It will not get cleaned up, exactly. Because, and, and by the way, our kids' definition of clean is different than ours, by the way, right? Okay, so, so there's going to be some inspection there. But, but don't say you didn't clean your room. You ask them, did you clean your room? You ask questions. You want to be a hot Christian? Here's how you do it. Honest, open, and transparent. So, so who are you honest, open, and transparent with? Who, who is someone who you know they can come to you and ask you any question about your life, and you're going to not lie to them. You're going to be honest, open, and transparent. Do you have relationships with that? If you don't have that kind of relationship, then, then one thing you need to write down is I'm going to develop a penetrating relationship. I'm going to develop a relationship with someone who I'm give them permission. It, it's a lot easier for me to ask people difficult questions if they've given me permission. I, I, I have a, a, an accountability partner. We've given each other permission to ask difficult questions. I've done that with my sons. I, I, I ask them difficult questions. I want them to ask me those questions. It's a lot easier when they've given you permission. So give someone permission to have that kind of relation. Now, here's just a few questions that you can ask. Think of some good questions. We talked about this one. How at peace are you? Not, not just how are you. Are you at peace today? What, what if we started on Sundays when we see people Instead of just saying, how are you? Saying, how at peace are you today? We, we could do that in, in a general way to the entire body. H- how about this? Is there someone you can go to and say, tell me three things that you'd like to see change in me? I remember Debbie and I did this some time ago. I sat down and asked her what three things she would change about me. I limited it to three. I knew she'd have more than that. So, uh, and, and so the first thing she said, I didn't really see it, but I wrote it down. Second thing she said, I didn't really see that one, but I wrote it down. Third thing, I could see that one. The very fact that she was able to say those things to me made me more aware because a lot of the times I'm just blind to my, my stubbornness and selfishness and whatever else. And if I don't ask someone for input, then, then I just continue in my ignorance. And if you want to continue in ignorance, then you will. But, but if you ask people for input, and, and who is a person you could go to who you know would be honest with you? And you could say to them, what, what three things as you've observed my life? And, and if, if you have someone, again, who loves you enough to be honest, don't be defensive. Don't say, that's not right. Just take those, pray them through, ask God to show you. I, I was reading a book, I've been reading a book some time ago um, by Gary Thomas called um, 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 Lifelong Love. It's a great book. We don't have it out there, but you can pick it at a bookstore, Lifelong Love. And in the book, he, he, he talks about um, your spiders. And so that's why I put it up there. He, he, find out what your person you're trying to have some accountability with, what, what bothers them. 
And, and so for him, his wife was bothered by spiders. That's why, what's your spiders? He, he, his wife, his spiders, if there was a spider in the house, I mean, she was just, she go crazy. And so if there was a spider, he said, I kill my wife's spiders. Now, I, I like spiders. They're, they're good. They eat bugs and whatever else. But I know for my wife, she doesn't like those and she can't be around those. And so, you know, acrophobia, whatever it is. And, and so, so I, I kill her spiders. So, so do you know what the spiders of your husband, your wife, your kids, or, or the people around you, what are the, I know what my wife's spiders are. My wife, um, the, it, it's driving, the way I drive. Um, um, and, and uh, you know, Debbie drives by the letter of the law. I drive by the spirit of the law, right? And, and uh, she'll say, honey, you're speeding. I say, I'm, I'm going with the flow. And, and she'll say, how come you're passing the flow? You know? and, and, um, and, and so I know that you know, we, we, we're on the road a lot. And, and I know if I want to make her life uh, livable, then, then I, then I need to drive in a way that is, that is compatible with her understanding of the law. And, and, and if I want to be selfish, then I, then I don't. And, and that, that so I, I know what, what bothers her. And so I, I want to, I want to, I don't want to make her life miserable. And, and so do you even have those relationships so you can know in relationships what it is that drives that person crazy? Do you have people that are, Honest enough to tell you about what's in your life. The point is penetrating relationships. So maybe one thing you might want to do is just say, I want to have someone who will speak into my life. That's, that's not, here, here's another predetermined giving. Again, because our heart is tied to our wallet, it's just, uh, we understand the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. But, but why don't we do that? We understand that, that money promises things only God can give. But why is it that we just give God our leftovers? The fact is you don't give the honored guest the leftovers. You don't invite someone over to your house and say, let's see, we've had this you know, liver for about three weeks. Let's see, maybe it's probably still good. Uh, you, you don't do that. You, you, give, you give them the best, the first, the most. I used to, when I was in college, went to Biola College out in California. And while I was there, I went to church at Chuck Swindoll's church in Fullerton, California. And I, I appreciate Chuck Swindoll, and, and uh, I remember hearing him say something, and if he hadn't said this, I, I don't think I would have believed it. He said he was over on the mission field, and he was visiting some missionaries, and they got a care package from the States, shipped overseas. And in this care package were a number of items that were, you know, helpful and things they couldn't get there and whatever. But, but one of the items in this, in this care package was a box of used tea bags. I said, no, no, no one's going to pay money to send used tea bags and ship them overseas. But that's kind of our mentality. If it's junk, if it's trash, if, if it's left over in the month, if, if we can you know, get by without it, then we give God that. That's why the Bible talks about giving the first fruits, the best, the first, the most. I was in a meeting some time ago. A man came to me. He said, you know, that our pastor some time ago um, said there was a need. There was a missionary coming back, and, and they, they needed a car because they were to come back to the States for a while and uh, for the year. And, and, and one of them, anybody had a car that this missionary couple could have. And I said to my wife, you know, we've been planning to get a new car here pretty soon, so let's go ahead and, go ahead and get that new car, and we'll, we'll give them our car. This week, I, I realized God said to me, why are you giving them the used car? Why don't you get them the new car, and you keep the used car? So he did. Now, see, we don't think that way. We think if it's trash, it's left over, we can't use it, then maybe God can have it. Now, we wouldn't treat God like that. We need to give God the best, the first, the most. That's why the whole thing about predetermined giving, 
And I, I hope that you, when I, when I came to this ministry, I, I'd always heard tithing. And, and uh, I, I wrongly concluded, my, I'm sure my pastor didn't mean this, but my thought was 10% is God's and 90% is mine. Now, that's, that's not what it means, but that's kind of what I, so I gave God my, his 10% and I, I spent my 90. I got this ministry and our founder, shortly after I got here, preached a message on faith. He said, if you're not already tithing, start. If you're already tithing, I'm going to challenge you, he said, to double tithe. I was single. I said, I can do that. I was making $100 a month here in Life Action. Big deal. I, I can give $20, not 10 And And so I started doing that. Then I got married. Whoever said two can live as cheap as one was not married. That's that's for sure, right? And and But we wanted to continue to do that. Then I went to a church for a while as a, a, on staff. And the pastor came to me one day and said, Steve, you see that guy in our church? That guy gives 40% of his income away to the Lord's work. I said, you're kidding. That's incredible. He, he was retired. He was a janitor at a bank. 40% of his income. I said, God, can you believe that? He gave us 40% of his income. God said, why don't you do that? I said, well, that's neat for him, not neat for me. (laughs) Come, let us reason together. And it wasn't at that moment, I don't think God wanted me to do that, but I couldn't. But we started to increase our giving a percentage each year so we could come to that point. And all I'm saying, if you will sit down and predetermine your giving and not find out at the end what you can afford, but say, God, it's all yours. What do you want me to do with it? And predetermine that and let it be a growth pattern in your life. Maybe maybe that might be something you put down for the next 30 days to discuss with your family the area of giving and, and say, what can we do to, to bump our giving up and let that be a part of your life? Here, here's another one, a personal ministry. Here's a here's a commitment you might make for 30 days to find someone that you can serve. The Bible talks about the fact that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And he came to serve the least of these. What if you made your goal for the next 30 days to find someone that you can minister to that can't minister back to you? Now, not, not someone's going to do something for you, but somebody you can just give to, you can help, you can serve in some way. I was um, with a pastor in, 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 in uh, Georgia, and um, he said that sometime before we'd gotten there, he said he was walking through the, the office, and the phone rang, and the, the receptionist was gone, and so I just picked up the phone and answered it, and it was a, a senior adult lady in our church, and she was frantic. She, she had to be at a medical appointment, and her ride had fallen through, and she had to be there right away, and and no one was in the office but me. And she said, Pastor, would you could you please get me this appointment? I said, I don't normally, you know, I'm alone with a woman in the car, but she was a senior adult lady, and she was frantic. And so I, I said, okay, I'll come get you. So I went over, I picked her up, and it was a 30-minute ride to this doctor's office. And he said, she got in the car. And she just, 100 miles an hour, started talking. And she just took off. And she just talked and talked and talked and talked. And he said, I'm driving along. I just zoned out. I mean, she was just nonstop talking. And I was, I, was, I zoned out. And, and pretty soon there was a, a lull and no noise. And I realized she must have asked me a question. But I had no clue. And I, and I kind of looked at her and she said to me, you weren't listening, were you? I said, no, I'm so sorry. And then she said this to me. She said, Pastor? You're going to come to a place in your life where people are going to look past you. And he said, I, I, I received that from her. And I said, God, I don't ever want to look past another person. All of us are going to come to that point in our life where people are going to look right past us. We're going to be irrelevant at some point. So when you walk past someone and you treat them as if they're irrelevant, that, that is not being like Jesus. 
And he said, Steve, God just taught me an incredible lesson about serving the least of these, giving people my attention that, 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 that can't do anything back. But, but that's the way Jesus was. In fact, the Bible talks about religion in the New Testament with only two exceptions. Every time a religion was addressed, it was used in a negative light. It was the religion of the Pharisees. It was a bad thing. But there's, there's one verse that says, true religion, undefiled before God, is caring for widows and orphans in their afflictions. Maybe you could say for the next 30 days, God, would you give me someone who is in need, a child, a widow, a widow, or someone that I can have influence in, that I can minister to, not because they can minister back to me, but give me personal ministry in someone's life. Now, now there could be a thousand other things, but I want you to take that card now, and I want you to make two copies. So, so one you're going to keep, one you're going to give to somebody so, so to, to hold you accountable. So I want you to think through in these next couple of minutes, what are some things that you want? What are some intentional shifts? It could be things I've mentioned. Or it could be a thousand other things. But, but here are the things I've mentioned. It, it could be things like I'm, I'm going to read my Bible every day for a month. That, if you're not doing that, that would be a good intentional shift. It, it, it could be I'm, I'm going to write a sentence about a passage I am reading every day for 30 days. It, it takes time to let these intentional shifts become patterns in your life. It takes about nine weeks to develop a habit. So this is just, this is just four to get you started. Maybe just I'm going to start my day in prayer. For the next 30 days, I'm going to, not for an hour necessarily, but I'm going to start my day talking to God every day for 30 days. And in a month from now, someone's going to come to you and say, how did you do on that? Did you do that for 30 days? I'm going to pray with my wife and family for 30 days. Now, if you're not already doing that, that for sure needs to be on your list. If you're not already as a husband praying, listen, your, your husband, your, your, I mean, your wife and kids need to hear what, what you carry on your heart. And just to say for 30 days, I'm going to commit myself to pray with my family. That, that'd be a great goal. I, I'm going to pray through that little acrostic of Acts or go through that holy hour or, or whatever. I'm, I'm going to do something to grow my prayer for 30 I'm going to try it for 30 days. I, I'm going to find someone who I can ask penetrating questions, who will ask those of me. I'm going to find someone who will hold me accountable over the next 30 days. That's my goal. Or I'm, I'm going to talk with my family about giving. I'm going to see how we can look at our giving from God's perspective, as eternal perspective, not, not just giving him our leftovers. I'm going to find someone to minister to daily, one of the least of these, one that, that can't do something back for me, but I'm going to minister to and help. And, and it could be a lot of other things. But I want you to take a moment. I want you to make a list. I want you to make two copies. One you're going to keep, and then one that you're going to give to somebody that you have confidence in that would hold you accountable. Somebody that you could say to them, I, I want you in 30 days to ask me if I've done these things. Because without accountability, the Christian life is optional. So, so we all need that. So team, you come up. I'm going to give you a couple minutes here. They're going to start playing a little bit. And I want you to take a moment. And then we're going to sing. But write, write that out. Write two copies on one of them. Put your name so you can give it to somebody. Um, one you're going to keep. I'll give you just a couple of minutes to uh, process that through and make your list. Goals for the next 30 days.